and welcome to episode 173 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I am James, joined again this week by Ryan Topp and Paul Noonan. Uh, we're doing this on a Sunday morning where we're all getting snowed in, so <laughs> hopefully uh, a chance to talk about some baseball and feel warm thoughts, except with the Brewers, maybe not so much, but how are you guys holding up? Good. Woke up this morning to our neighbor uh, snow plowing for us, snow blowing for us. Our uh, our walkway at least out front, so that was cool because nice. our uh, our new old uh, snowblower that we picked up from a friend's house yesterday is not yet functional, so that was not going to work out great. We we're going to be oh no, yeah, we we're going to be hand shoveling. So uh, yeah, <laughs> at least they went and did that, so we don't have to worry about that. We'll we'll head out and do a little bit a little bit later here, but yeah, that was nice, very nice. Yep, that's cool. It's uh, it's weird to not have a Packer game, but you know whatever. Womp. Yeah. It's also no fun to record reporting as eligibles after losses and especially not ones that are quite that big. And also <laughs> all of all of your questions. Very angry. Very much appreciated. <laughs> but like Yeah, you guys actually had to to cut off all the questions. You had like what, six pages of questions after that? Yes. Yeah, so, um, game. So yeah. One of our running things on RAE is actually talking about the rundown structure itself. And James puts together the rundown for this. It's very organized. My the football one is not. Um, <laughs> uh, this is one page, and it'll go on for you know this typical time that the tailgate podcast goes on. We had um, the, the football podca- podcast run is actually usually like a half a page of just random thoughts, and then this time it was half a page of random thoughts and literally six pages of football questions, mostly of, of people questioning um, competence of various people who aren't with the team. So hey, we got stuff to talk about there this week. At least that makes me happy. <laughs> change is good. At least that we have change to embrace. There we go. Uh, plenty of change to embrace in baseball this week, where conveniently, everybody just decided to sign yeah. free agent contracts. So definitely not suspicious at all on one single day where the floodgates kind of opened. Sadly, the Brewers still haven't signed anybody. <laughs> uh, the Blue Jays ended up with George Springer and Marcus Simeon, who was briefly mentioned as a possible Brewers target. Uh, Brewers also reportedly had an interest in former twin outfielder Eddie Rosario. He signed with Cleveland. Uh, they're supposedly talking with Justin Turner now. He'll probably sign somewhere else. So I guess we'll just kind of start with the flurry of activity. Anything stood out? I guess, Paul, is it suspicious that everyone seemed to sign this week? I mean, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and <laughs> all the ducks sign at the same time. The last then, uh, I mean, yeah. this is clearly the idea everybody had to push down salaries, like wait as long as possible. And I know that clearly the Brewers are showing us that you could have waited longer, but uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, I, I don't know. It's not. I don't think that collusiony. I do think that there is there is collusion to not overspend this with this winter for sure. Like that's a thing. But I doubt that they had an email go around saying, "Okay, time to open the floodgates." It's probably just a few teams got got some people down to their level of acceptable salaries, and it's not like they're not negotiating at all during that time period. They're checking in on people, seeing what they're asking, and if it's too high, they move on to somebody else. And you know, people get antsy as you get closer to the start of the season, and some players started to break. And once those once those happened and figures started to hit, that often opens the floodgates for other people who are basing offers on what's out in the market right now. Also, just wanted to mention, had had the Brewers signed Eddie Rosario and gone forth with making him a first baseman at least part of the time, we think he would have been the lightest first baseman of the last 30 years, according to his B-Ref weight, which is 100, really? <laughs> 180 pound Eddie Rosario. Well, B-Ref weights, though. I mean, Prince Fielder's what? They're not. They're unofficial in the strictest <laughs> sense of the word. Dang. I didn't realize he, he was that small. I, I don't think I'm he probably is. bigger than I, Eddie Rosario. I, I yeah, exactly. to, to Ryan's point, I believe his BRF page is not correct. <laughs> but uh, Maybe he was 180 when he was like 20 years old breaking into the Matrix nope. or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, w- that was a weird thing too. Eddie Rosario has never played first base, I think, ever in his baseball career. And the Brewers were trying to convince him to play there. So maybe it's no wonder he decided to sign elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can do that when somebody's you know not getting any offers. You can't do it when the person is getting other offers to play that nat- their natural positions. That <laughs> doesn't work. Well, right. they maybe were selling him on the idea too that if you were to come over and play first base for the Brewers on a one-year deal, well, that now opens you up to more positional flexibility for your next contract. It it gives you more leverage in the market because you can do more things. So maybe that was. 
part of the the sales pitch to him too? I guess I think that's a tough a tough one when you're going to first base. I think it's more yeah. much more likely to work in the opposite direction for you there, where you yeah. can hold it. Oh, oh, he's declined. He can't play outfield anymore. You know, it's one thing with Mustakas playing second. It's like, oh, look, Mike Mustakas can play second base. Wow, that's neat. Whereas any anybody anybody but Chris Davis can play first base. I think. <laughs> Oh yeah, that was that was quite the uh, thing, wasn't it? Yes, yes, oh. uh, yeah. So we're still waiting for the Brewers to to sign somebody, and even you know, I I tend to be more patient than maybe other people, at least in the Brewers Twitter sphere. But even I'm kind of getting antsy. You know, it, it just how many times could you finish you know second or third on a guy before you start to get a little frustrated? And I think you know to. To be fair, Toronto was that way for almost all the offseason until they finally got George Springer, right? Like they were second on just about everybody else that signed elsewhere up to that point. So you never really know when that's going to break through. But at the same time, there's there's not a whole lot of guys left that could actually make a difference for the Brewers, especially at their positions of need. You know, we've talked about in the last few weeks that they're kind of in an unfortunate situation where the holes they need to fill aren't really there on the free agent market. And the guys that are available are at positions where they're already pretty well stocked. Uh, but there's still time. We're still, I guess, a few weeks away from spring training, <laughs> although we'll see about that. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but kind of brings us to our first Patreon question comes from Adam post. He's talking about all these signings. He's asking with the brewers recently being linked to the likes of Turner, Simeon and Rosario, does that make you any more optimistic that the Brewers will still make a significant move this offseason? Ryan, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it does. I They're definitely still reaching out, and they have room in the budget, clearly, to do something. So they're, they are definitely in the market to make a move. The question is just going to be who hits their price point, who is willing to take the deal that they're offering, and I don't know how close we are to that point yet of somebody doing that. It's hard to say based on what we've heard so far, especially like with Turner. There's there's suspicion that Turner might be using the Brewers as leverage to get the deal that he wants out of L.A. so he can stay put where he's at, which would make perfect sense, and it wouldn't be the first time that somebody had used the Brewers like that for that purpose. So the question then just becomes like, who is it going to be? And what is the the price tag going to look like? Jock Peterson was a guy that we thought made some sense for the Brewers, but yeah, it, didn't, did. it didn't sound like they were all that interested in him. Did it? No, like, we, we never really heard them connected to him. And he signed with the Cubs for what? One year, like 7, 7 million. million or so. It, mm-hmm. it was like squarely within the Brewers price range, right? It was they, a very Sturmsy signing, in fact. Uh, one, <laughs> one year, seven million, prove it. That guy would play very well in Miller Park. Oh, well. Yeah. yeah. When you compare that to like what the Cubs gave up in Schwarber, who signed for $10 million with what the Nationals, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. I would rather have Jock at seven. I would rather have Jock at the same price as Schwarber, honestly, because of the defensive ability that he brings, the fact that he can play center field. And the fact that in both cases, you're looking at guys who are really more of a platoon bat. Granted, the, the, the strong side of the platoon, you don't want them playing too much against lefty pitchers, but yeah. you don't necessarily need them to either. But Jock brings you much more defensive ability and relatively similar offense, especially now once we see what Jock looks like in uh, the central and not playing in Dodger Stadium and getting, you know, the days when the wind's blowing out at Wrigley or those games when he gets to play at Miller Park or when he gets to play at Great American Ballpark, all those are going to be advantageous to him. I think he's in a better position for the power to play up in the central now. So I think it was a good signing for the Cubs and they needed it because I think people down there are about ready to riot on the ownership and they should be (laughs) because what they're doing is absolutely ridiculous. And yeah. We'll see what that ends up looking like. But it is sad that Jock ended up there instead of with Milwaukee. Yeah, I think Paul's right, though. I don't know how much the Brewers were actually that interested in him if they didn't. You know, we didn't hear a whole lot of, I guess, official rumors, just a lot of, hey, this would make sense. Right. And the fact that he signed for that contract, which, Paul, you said is a very Sternsy thing. I guess, it, is there anybody else that you could see the Brewers kind of making a run at if they weren't interested in Jock Peterson to that level? 
Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about guys throughout the winter. I could still see them making moves on, oh, the the first baseman who got traded from the Cardinals to to the Rays last offseason, Jose. Jose Martinez. Oh, yeah, Jose Martinez. Yes. Uh, I could see things like that. And there's there's going to be people that are still out there. Remember, we're still looking at Jed Jerko on the market. And I think that they would <laughs> yeah. be. They would be happy to bring him back. It's just. He's totally coming back, isn't he? You would think that there's a decent chance of that. I suppose I should decide in advance if that counts as a substantial signing. It's it's the jerk line, though. It would be right at the line. It's so. right at the line. Yeah. We have two metrics, I think, now that we've established for free agent signings. One is, uh, is it a substantial signing? And the other is, is it higher than Corey Knievel's arbitration um, amount? Um, oh, so. yeah. 5.25 million or something like that? Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Still yeah. on the under on both of those, by the way. I still think under under Jericho and under five point two million. So we'll see. I thought it was interesting though that they actually were brought up in the Marcus Simeon talks because that's a guy who he granted he signed another one year deal, but it was eighteen million dollars. So I, I don't know if maybe that shows the Brewers are willing to play at that level. Obviously, probably not at that eighteen million dollar level if he went to Toronto mm-hmm. and Milwaukee. Uh, but, you know, to to be mentioned in that, whether it was, again, to inflate the price or whatever, I guess, I don't know, Paul, does that change your mind that maybe they're willing to push that for a certain level of player? So it, it doesn't only because it, 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 they didn't get him. And one of the reasons they maybe didn't get him is they didn't think he'd make that much money. So uh, it's possible. I mean, I don't think they would project the market that badly. So I guess it's a good sign in that in that way. But you know, it, it, until you actually get a guy who makes that much money, um, it's it's hard to say because it, it is just an automatic reason to move on too. Also, the, I found those rumors to be a little odd because yeah, they were they were they were legit rumors that they were checking in on Simeon, but they seemed to come and go pretty quickly. Like I don't I hadn't heard that as a rumor until like two days before he signed, and then he signed, and then that was it. So um, I I don't know how serious that actually was. Yeah. But to be, I, I feel like David Stern's rumors, though, like we'd never hear anything until something is super that's, imminent, that's right? That's a good point. They, they, they have a good tight front office. That is a good point. So, yeah, yeah, maybe. And they were listed by Heyman as one of the mystery teams for Turner, right? That was the, like, he, he revealed yeah. them as the, the yes, mystery team. Yes, there were two mystery teams. One mystery team was the Brewers, and the other mystery team was a mystery team. It was... One of the greatest, one of the greatest John Heyman tweets of all time. <laughs> that is, that is PK. There are two mystery right teams. There. We know one of them. Thus, thus making it a mystery team. Like yeah. what, when you're just peddling rumors, what what is the difference between a mystery team you know and a and a non mystery team that an anonymous source has told you? <laughs> okay, like, so this all goes yeah. back to this is Heyman's brand. The mystery team thing is Heyman's brand because he did this. I don't even remember the player, but it was like three, four winners ago now where he said that there's a mystery team in and everybody mocked and guffawed. And then it turned out that it was a mystery team that popped up that signed this player to a significant contract. Uh, Do you guys remember who that was? I don't know, but it was, it was, that's, that's why Heyman always does this mystery team crap is because that's his, it's his, I mean, it's hedging. It's hedging. It's like all the other idiots who try to to claim to be insiders. That, you know, they're just vague enough where they can go back and say, "Hey, we got we got that right." Except Brewer World. Brewer World's always right. So, yeah. well, no, I mean, <laughs> Heyman Heyman has real connections and gets real information. The question is what he has to exchange to get it, which is basically his soul. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the mystery team is like a very it it. It was a Boris client, right? It's a it's, it's a Boris negotiating a Boris tactic. Client. Yeah, it's always yeah. a Boris client. So, so I yeah. Love John Hammond, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's kind of a a dinosaur of a different era when that sort of reporting really mattered more than it does now. Where now the, the emphasis on what you can analyze and what you can uh, bring to the table in terms of understanding of things as opposed to just saying this is the the team that is interested this is the rumor you know that isn't it isn't as big a deal as it used to be and that's reflected in like what has happened with Heyman where he has gone from being at CBS to being where the hell is he at now I don't even know (laughs) yeah he was at fan sided for a little while you're right it's a much more of a a why 
industry now than uh, what happened, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody knows what happened immediately and nobody really cares who has it first or who breaks the news. It's more, what does this mean and why? So Only they seem to care who has it first at this point. It's, it's an old school journalism thing. I'll say it that, is. yeah. It is. But yeah, it much more why and what does this mean? And, you know, there's another move this week, segueing. <laughs> that has us asking, what does this mean? The Cardinals are close to trading for Nolan Arenado, which feels like finally after, what, two years of of talking about it, they finally get their guy, yep. at least mm-hmm. eventually, maybe. I guess as we're recording this, it's still not official because there's a whole crap ton of money and, and opt-outs and everything to deal with. But basically, Nolan Arenado is going to be a Cardinal for a package that was less than inspiring and they're getting 50 million dollars back too. the Rockies are, I think run away the, the worst front office in baseball now, right? Like th- there's no way they could have bungled this more than they possibly did. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the candidates who were on that list or towards the front of it have either, you know, revamped like in Miami, right? Yeah. Or they've just, yeah, they've in some cases have just gotten better. Miami, I guess the Mets, well, that's a whole other thing. So yeah, <laughs> I just I can't believe that they got money back and that much. Like, <laughs> like if you get money back, usually you get better prospects. That's kind of how that works. It's like it's it's a great it's a good player, but he's expensive. So you save money and then you get some better prospects. Like the Cardinals sent. Gar- I should be mean to the prospects in the question. They're not garbage prospects. They're <laughs> I'm sure perfectly fine baseball players, but they didn't get any of the Cardinals' best prospects out of this. And the Cardinals aren't a great system. They have some good no, they're players, not. but they're not, you know, a loaded, stacked system. And it's infuriating because, A, it's the Cardinals, and the Cardinals just seem to have all-stars fall into their lap, I don't know, every three, four years or so for nothing. And it, it's one of those things where the, the Brewers are limited in what they can do because their farm system's not great. But when you see a trade like this uh, and money come back, what you think is, wait a minute, we could have done that. We, we have the horses for that trade. But uh, every other team does, too. So, well, the thing with that is Arenado does have a full no trade clause. He did have to waive. So, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So we don't even know if that was a possibility. If the Brewers reached out and said, hey, would he have any interest in coming here? And we're just flat told, no, he doesn't want to go there. That's perfectly possible. And that would have shut down any potential discussion. Yep. A good point. It's just crazy to me how that situation just kind of totally deteriorated because it wasn't, when did he sign that extension to stay with Colorado? It was like very recently. It was like two, maybe three years ago. Yeah, it was like two years ago. He was within six months to a year of having signed that extension. He was Mm -hmm. agitating to get out. Because their GM kept antagonizing him. Well, yeah, the Rockies actively antagonized him and not a good situation, not good management. Nope. And they chose the GM over the player, too, which is oh, classic. The very worst GM. Bad ownership move. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really a bad sign. The thing is, as far as Arenado himself goes, that contract is weird, and it doesn't sound like the Cardinals are getting him to get rid of his opt-outs. He's going to maintain an opt-out after this year and after next year, according to all the reports I've seen. Now, maybe that goes away in the final version of the deal. But if that's true, basically what the Cardinals are doing here is they're taking on $150 million-ish in risk in terms of downside if Arenado decides to stay with them. But he could still opt out. And so I can see why they didn't really have to give up much in terms of prospects. Right. That's baked into the the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Because the deal is mostly downside for them. You know, it's mostly like if he crashes and burns this year and really isn't a good player outside of Colorado, which we'll talk about in a little while. If that does happen, then the Cardinals are kind of sitting on kind of holding the bag on him. And so, yeah, there wouldn't be really a need to give up a lot. I was in I don't know if you guys were in one of these group chats. There was a discussion we were having. I kind of called it ahead of time and said, I think that the main sticking point here is not the prospects that they're giving up for Arenado, but it's how much money the Rockies are going to have to kick in potentially to the Cardinals to make this mm-hmm. happen. Because I think the Rockies just wanted to get that salary off the books and wanted him yep. gone because oh, yeah. they were sick of the misery surrounding that whole situation. Cause he was so pissed off. Well, yeah, like, he was clearly unhappy there. Oh yeah. yeah. He didn't oh, want to yeah. be there. 
And immediately after they signed him to that extension, they started basically selling off again. And he kind of felt sort of like, I guess, Christian Yelich in Miami, like, wait, what the hell, guys? Like, I committed to you and you did nothing. Kind of backing off of that. And yeah, it's just an ugly situation. And I didn't realize this, but like the sheer amount of money there, too, it ended up being like, what, one of the top 10 richest contracts in baseball history if it goes the full length, Mm -hmm. which is why the Cardinals wanted 50 million (laughs) in return. But I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how those financial details work out. If they get the full 50 million after he opts out after this year, that'd be something, Uh, but maybe that it's got to be rated to some extent. Yeah. 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 I am sure those are the the details. Let's, let's never underestimate what a bad front office can do to itself. And what smart management can do on the other side of things because the Cardinals know how to do this. This has they been do. their business model. I was running down the list of players. You can go back to yeah. Mark McGuire yeah. for, for this sort of thing. Mark McGuire, Scott Rowland, they pull this on a fairly yeah. regular basis. Matt Holiday, maybe to an extent, though I think not so much. Yeah. Yeah, every four years or so, Paul's right. Mm-hmm. They managed to get somebody else's superstar, whether it's Goldschmidt was the last one. Matt Holiday came to mind, too. Yeah, it it's just the way that they operate. I mean, they sit there and they wait for them. Yeah. They run a good org. What, what can you say about them? By the way, Colorado, just to not leave that too early, no team can afford to have a worse front office more than Colorado. It needs a good front office because they have to figure out all the specialized stuff about their own team and how they operate. And the fact that they are incompetent sort of across the board in terms of massaging players, financial management, and their own internal analytics about how Coors Field works, just just terrible. It's not like it's impossible. The Rockies have been good, you know, not regularly, but a couple times, several times. Which went to a World Series. Went to a World Series. You could win in Colorado if you know what you're doing, and they just seem to have no idea. Well, they're a pop-up team now and again. When nobody's sort of expecting things, all of a sudden it sort of works for them, and it usually has to do with whether or not they can line up the pitching. Remember yep. when they had that group with Urbina and – some of those guys in like 2010 ish that era. And then this last group that came through with like, was it Kyle Freeland and Marquez? Yeah. Those guys, yep. like people didn't really necessarily see that coming and then it pops up and it, it works for them. They're a good example of why it really does start with ownership. That ownership is just incompetent there. Remember last year when the owner ran his mouth about them being like a 94 win team. We have internal <laughs> analytics that say, "Oh, I do remember we're that we're a ninety-four win team or whatever," and everybody just laughed, laughed, and and then like, okay, so your front office told you you're a ninety-four win team, and then last year happened. Now, granted, it was a shortened season, but you were one of the worst teams in baseball last year. Like, you were legitimately and, terrible. Yes, and no one else thought that. So, if <laughs> your front office should be able to explain to you on why nobody else thinks you're a ninety-four win team, if if they're going to be right, and then why you end up being total trash after they've told you that, and how do you end up bringing them back then? Like, yep. what is the what possible justification could you have for for doing that if you really believed what they were saying, or if it was just BS that you were spinning to the media to whatever? There are stories about uh, their owner like responding to random emails. This was on oh, Effectively yeah. Wild. <laughs> that was the joke is like someone will break the Arenado story just by like emailing the owner and asking what's up and he would leak it. Yeah. And we're not talking about like reporters here. We're talking about like randos. Like we'll, yeah. we'll email the owner and like say something and he'll just, he'll spit something back. It is the Monfort who on the Rockies just so we have a name to put to. Yes. This, yeah. This generic thing. And it's, it, it's confusing because brothers, it's like the Ricketts, you know, it's the, it's the Montforts. So I don't know which one is the crazy one. I can't keep them straight. <laughs> yeah. So again, Cardinals uh, capitalizing on the, uh, I guess, misfortune of an NL West team. They should probably just ban the Cardinals from trading with the NL West. Cause I'm tired <laughs> of it. But I guess the, the big question then is, you know, we, we had people basically coronating the Cardinals as the defense, facto NL Central champions because they're the only ones that did anything. I guess, Paul, is that your feeling right now? Are they the best team with Arenado or are you kind of concerned with uh, Arenado's road splits that maybe it's not a huge deal? 
I am concerned. I think that he is enough to get them over the top. Uh, this is going to be a, a long mixed answer, though, because <laughs> Coors Field is weird, and Nolan Arenado is weird within the Coors Field realm, too. So the reason it's still going to be a good signing is he's still really good on defense. You know, there's nothing that's going to, about Coors Field that's going to impact that. And so they have a good floor here. They have a good defensive player that they picked up. Is he worth all that money just on his defense? Obviously not. But it's something to work with. It's not going to be a total disaster. He'll provide some value. Now, guys who leave Coors Field, home road splits are not the best way to look at it because Coors Field impacts your road splits. It screws up how you hit on the road because how you hit at home is so weird and different. Curve balls don't curve as much and you don't have to swing as hard to get balls out. And, you know, baseball is about routine and, and muscle memory and, and things like that. And when the way that things work is fundamentally different in your stadium than everywhere else, it messes up your muscle memory everywhere else because baseball is different everywhere else. Guys who leave Coors Field do tend to get worse at home, but they also tend to improve on the road as their muscle memory kind of gets into shape on normal baseball again. So he'll probably, like he's not going to, his line's not going to be his road splits. He will improve. It's just a matter of how much. Now here's the thing. Like one thing I like to do is go back and see how did, how did a guy play in his first season at Coors Field before things sort of set themselves in? And he's always been really bad on the road since being a major league player, essentially. So that makes me question a little bit if he maybe has more Coors Field boost than some other guys do. And he may not come up quite as much upon leaving. That's speculation. But guys in their first season at Coors Field usually haven't had the muscle memory flip yet. And so they are a little bit better on the road. You actually get a little bit of a boost if you are uh, picking a guy up in Colorado for the first year or two because his road hitting will remain better. The short answer is, I, I don't think he'll hit like a super good all-star. He'll be better than his road splits, but um, I don't think they're getting like a top 10, top 15, 20, top, even top 20 bat here. I think they're getting a good bat, you know, an above average bat with very good defense, but not like a, not like a super great all-star level player. I, I don't think he's going to be uh, getting like down, maybe down valve, but MVP votes this year. So Here's the thing, though. Nobody else has done anything, and I already had the Cardinals as the front runners in the division. He's <laughs> right. probably at least a two-war player, and that's, you know, given how close everything is here, that might be enough. And by the way, if you think he's going to crash and burn as a Cardinal, let me introduce you to the, the uh, St. Louis Cardinal organization, which <laughs> does not the typically, devil magic does not make typically sure. have that happen. So um, he'll be good, not great. And I do think I, I'm worried. That's a good signing. That's enough, I think, to put some breathing room between the Cardinals and the rest of the division. Yeah, I think that everything that you said there makes a lot of sense. I think it's worth pointing out his career OPS on the road is 793. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a guy who that's still a solidly for third base. That's still average to maybe slightly above average at third base yeah. in that time period. Yeah. So pair that with the good defense. And I do think you're absolutely right that I wouldn't really expect him to be for that to be the reality of him going forward, because we do know that and the way people have figured this out, Paul's point from before is that guys in their first few games away from Coors Field after spending time at Coors Field see a significant drop off and then they tend to stabilize after that. I don't know if that applies to Arenado specifically, but that is generally what happens is guys in those first few games when they've left Coors Field have to make an adjustment to what they're now seeing because the ball does behave so differently everywhere else. Yeah, it's such a, it's very drastic and very strange. Just to the, the point of his early seasons, in his first season in Coors Field, his splits were still super dramatic. He had a, a 678, oh wait, that's my first second half. Um, I scrolled the wrong place. He had a 793 OPS at home and a 619 on the road. So it's set in pretty quickly for him. Uh, I do kind of wonder if there is... I would love to see a report on like how long it takes guys who like start up in Coors Field and then leave versus guys who come into Coors Field as a second team and then leave. But it's mm-hmm. an interesting thing. But it doesn't, you know, it's not like a an easy equation. So he'll mm-hmm. he'll get he'll get a little better. It, it just it messes with you in sort of weird ways that um, have taken quite a long time to figure out. <laughs> well, and if you want to make a case that he is more of a Coors Field creation than a lot of guys are what you could do is point to his prospect status and say that people didn't see this coming for him when he was on his way up. He was a, he was a regarded prospect. People thought he was a real prospect, but 
no one had him as a superstar. No one had him as being one of the very best players in the game, which is what he was for a solid chunk of that time. So maybe there is something to that. And really, we just have to see what it looks like away from Coors Field. And unfortunately, we're going to see that from the Cardinals you know, with him in a Cardinals uniform, we should point out though, that like, if you look at Paul Goldschmidt's numbers with the Cardinals, he has not been a superstar for them. Nope. And they are now, if, if Arenado does decide to stay and play out the length of this contract with the Cardinals, they're going to be looking at a team built around two guys. Arenado will be 30 uh, at the beginning of this season. So he's going to be playing this year as this will be his age 30 season. And you're going to be looking at a team built around two big contracts, two right-handed corner bats, because, you know, Arenado at third, and granted, good defender, and Goldschmidt at first, and also granted, good defender. But you're still building around two guys in their 30s who are at first and third base. And Mm -hmm. that's probably not ideal. Like, that is not what you want to do. Now, the Cardinals do have some young players in their farm system and they have some other things going for them like they always do because of the Cardinals (laughs) but there are some limitations here and I think it is worth pointing out my my friend uh, Nate Johnson was pointing out that there is some there's some downside here for the Cardinals in terms of like how they've structured their team over the next five to ten years now it probably doesn't hurt them dramatically this year It, it almost certainly makes them a better team for 2021 and 2022 if there is a 2022 (laughs) but by 2024 2025 if these guys are still on the books chances are good that you're not getting much out of them and they're they take up a pretty substantial portion of the payroll so there is some downside here for the the cardinals but it's it's still mostly positive for from their perspective Last thing worth noting, too, I saw Jonathan Judge on Twitter having a conversation with the prospectus folks. And also worth noting that Bush, Bush Stadium, the Cardinal Stadium, is actually one of the worst hitters parks in baseball, too. So it's not like Arenado's going from the best hitters park to like another good hitters park. He's not. And uh, I also do wonder how, if that might have more of an effect. It, I know it can be a, a little bit of a rough uh, emotional uh, switch to go from the best hitting place in the world to kind of the worst hitting place in the world and just seeing balls die at the warning track instead of going out you know that could have some effect too see that in some of the west coast parks every once in a while so worth noting that the, the prospectus is going to have new uh new park factors coming out soon as part of that conversation so john just teased that st louis is especially terrible more so than people realize that's interesting and might explain why over the last few years, too, that the Cardinals offense has really been a detriment to that team, too. Yes. So really interesting. I guess one more thing before we leave the Arenado topic, we do have another Patreon questions from James Vandenberg. He's asking about those home road splits that, you know, Paul went a deep dive into, but he's also mentioning something else that might be a, a bit of a red flag for the Cardinals. It's Arenado's stat cast numbers. So uh, he references kind of some of the conversation on Twitter in the last week, just kind of showing the good thing now is we, we don't just have home road splits with, you know, course field guys. We can actually track the ball off the bat. We can see how hard they're making contact, that kind of thing. And Arenado during the stat cast era, I guess you want to call that. So since like 2016 or so, he's seen a really big drop in, um, his quality of contact for lack of a better term, he's barreling the ball less. He, he was 75th percentile in 2016. Now he's 34th, uh, is expected WOBA went from 81st percentile to 35th. So his exit velocity went from 56th percentile to about 38, 39th. So he, he, he's not hitting the ball as hard basically to give a layman's term to all the net nerd stats here. He's hitting the ball less hard he's no longer i guess considered one of the the best in baseball in that regard he's kind of now more middling or or falling off and you know that's coincided with him hitting that 30 year old mark and you know kind of what ryan was talking about the cardinals now have him in his 30s and not necessarily the peak so i guess paul does that kind of give some pause if you're the cardinals too it certainly does. I mean, I'm sure they look at all of that as, as we all do. And he may he may not age gracefully. There also may be something there he can fix. 
that also may be related to the ball. Um, I know that the ball affects everybody the same. It's the same ball, but it does seem to impact some guys more than others. So I think that there's a little bit of uh, who knows what's going to happen built in there, but it's not good. I mean, when you see aging guys start to lose contact or lose hard contact, that's certainly a red flag. So, you know, there's a range of, I know we, we joke the Cardinals have their devil magic and all deals work out for them. It's not actually true. And, you know, there's there's upside and downside in every deal. I'm sure they viewed this kind of as you know, defensive floor. Maybe we can fix something. Maybe we can get us back going again. It's probably not going to be as bad as Coors Field. But there's downside. There's always downside. Guys crash and burn every once in a while. So it's possible and it's a risk. And that's not a good sign. Yeah, the tweet that he was specifically referencing here was from Derek Carty, who's at ESPN. And he looked at his 2016, 2019, 2020 percentiles just to give you a an idea. And for expected WOBA, he went from 81st percentile in 2016 to 35th percentile by 2020. And barrel percentage, 75th percentile to 34th. Exit velocity max from 56th to 39th. And launch angle on hardest hit from 95th to 30th percentile. So there is some serious serious downside there and how much of that has to do with him being unhappy because he's unhappy at least going back to 2019 with being with the Rockies some of that definitely could be a factor here but yeah there there definitely are some troubling trends here and the question will be whether or not the Cardinals can figure out how to arrest those and get those turned around yep yeah I guess the the main thing here is, you know, it was easy for a lot of us when the trade was announced to kind of go, oh, sky is falling. We're screwed. The Cardinals are going to run away with everything. I think once you have a second to take a breath, take a step back and look at some of the numbers, maybe we're just in the bargaining phase as Brewers fans and trying to talk ourselves into things being OK. I mean, there's there's no doubt that he's Arenado's a good player. Like you guys said, I think maybe not six or seven war player, but maybe a four war player, very good defense will carry that. I mean, obviously a difference maker, especially considering, you know, some, some of what the the Cardinals were running out on the infield last year, but maybe it's not a slam dunk, shut the door on the division thing, especially when the off season's still technically going. So, well, no, no one player is really going to be that considering the Cardinals were right. Like if you looked at some of the the projections and whatever, the Cardinals were projected to be a little bit behind the Brewers and Cubs. And so mm-hmm. like in a group with them, but now this probably does move them to the front of that group, but there's still huge error bars around that. And it can, it's not like they're 10 wins ahead of everybody. This is not a situation like with the Dodgers right. and Padres being so far ahead of everybody else that it's a joke in that division. Yeah, There's, they're still close. They're just now like a pretty a pretty clear favorite. They're just not an overwhelmingly odds on favorite. They're going to have to make other moves to make that happen. And they're mm-hmm. in the process. They also signed Adam Wainwright, brought him back this week. And yeah. they're in the process of trying to get Yadier Molina back for at least one mm-hmm. more go around. By the way, did you guys catch on effectively wild? I know you're a, a listener, Paul. Yeah. Did you hear about uh, the thing with Wainwright and uh, Yadi? No, I didn't. I am behind. So. Oh, okay. So the the story is is that they are sixth all time in terms of games started between a catcher and pitcher battery, and everybody else on that list is the the five peop, the five pairs ahead of them are all from the fifties and before, basically. Right. Or oh I guess God. the sixties and before, because Mickey <laughs> yeah. Lolich is actually number one on there with the catcher that he was with. Yeah. It, it's basically, you have to go back 50 years to find anybody that's been, that has that many reps together. So that was kind of interesting. That's actually very surprising given the nature of free. I mean, I would expect it to be reserve clause guys going back like, you know, 150 ranking spots before you got to free agent era people. That's actually quite amazing. Yeah, and they've climbed right up that list. I mean, part of it is they both are about the same age and they came up together and they've both been with the team, you know, more or less through together throughout that entire time. So, yeah. And they also have a lot of postseason starts together. So if you count that, it, oh, that helps too. Yeah. It also boosts, but that isn't even, if you don't count that, they're still, you know, really pretty good so yeah drysdale i think was also on that list man the cardinals are old (laughs) i think that's the takeaway there too yeah we just better hope that dylan carlson doesn't turn into a superstar 
because yeah, that's quite possible. He uh-huh. he is a top ten prospect in the game, and he is about ready to make that breakthrough. Yeah. So we will see. But they've if he's a superstar, that's a that's going to be a a tough one for a yep. while. I mean, they've also had a couple of prospects that were heavily hyped that didn't quite turn out. Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, those types. But yeah, we'll those see. guys weren't <laughs> those, they weren't top ten prospects. The last yeah. the last hitting prospect they had that this was was this good was Tavares. You know. So, mm-hmm. and we will never know what would have happened there if he hadn't been you know, right. killed in that car accident. So, yeah, when you when you guys start listening to this, we'll be in the month of February and we'll be uh, two, three weeks out or so from uh, spring training supposedly starting. But maybe not. <laughs> um, the Cactus League in the last week put out this statement basically saying trying to cite health and all that stuff, saying basically don't don't come here. In the meantime, Florida, the Grapefruit League, was like, we'll sell tickets. Come on down. So kind of an interesting juxtaposition there. But I know both of you guys kind of think there might be something else at play here, at least when it comes to owners cutting costs again and that kind of thing. Paul, you can use uh, Brad's old tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. What What's the thinking behind this? This one's not, this one's not tinfoil hat at all. And I, I think Ryan's actually made this very clear in previous podcasts that if this is this is free money for the owners, if they have p- people in the stands, they don't pay the players, um, and they rely on that free money quite a bit to, for their for their seasonal revenue. So uh, they will do anything in their power to have games with people there. So it's as simple as that. And, and if you look at what's happening, it's as simple as that. Like Florida, anything goes in Florida. You know, woo, it's a stupid state run by idiots, and um, they will allow people to have fans in the stands. And so, uh, and people wanted to be in the stands there because, again, same thing with Florida. Um, and and so they're they're all let's let's gung ho for this. And Arizona is a little bit different. So um, until the owners the owners want to have fans there, and if they if they can accomplish that by pushing it back a little bit they'll do it. And if they can't, they don't want to have those games if there's no fans in the stands. That's just a cost that they would prefer not to bear. So it's really not any more complicated than that. Arizona is its own thing too because they have people in the stands for various other things in baseball. Including indoor events. Including indoor events like hockey. It's not a conspiracy because we have all of this information. Like (laughs) There's no intellectual consistency with what's going on anywhere. So it, it's really that simple. And with with spring training, it, it's it's all about money. Uh, and you know, they last year was a special case where they had to get everybody ready to play to get a season in at all. This is different. They the vaccines are on the horizon. They're they're out there. Like I, I know a bunch of people who have had it already. And so there's a light at the end of the tunnel if they can make it to that you know to a plausible part to have fans in the stand safely. They want to do it if at all possible. Easy as that. Yep. And also, they would love to delay the start of the season so that they can get fewer games played this year so they can save some money on the player salaries. Yep, the salaries are per game. That's how this all works. Because one thing that hasn't been talked about a whole lot here is the players union said, "Okay, fine, if you want to delay the start of the season by a month so that we can have more fans in the stands, people will be more comfortable at the start of spring training. We'll start spring training later. And we'll then start the season later. We'll just go into November then. We'll play it out into November. And if we have to do some neutral field thing to, to make this work on the back end in November, we can do that. And MLB said, nah, no, no, no. We don't want to do that. We, 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 we just want to shorten the season. We just want to like, so they basically, the players union called their bluff on that and exposed that the whole thing here is garbage that basically what owners want to do is to cut out and from their perspective maybe this is something they look to do in the long term they know that in a lot of cold weather markets they're going to get garbage attendance anyway in april so they'd rather still be in florida and arizona through april and then coming into into the regular season in their regular parks then they've had that much more extra time for people to get comfortable and to get vaccinated and they can bring in larger crowds at that point. Basically they're just, they've, they've run the numbers on this and they have figured out that the best thing for them would be to shorten the season and to delay spring training starting so that they can get more people there and they can get more people in the, in the stands in the regular side. And they don't want to have play into November because apparently 
Fox's fall schedule is too important for that. So Fox does not want it. So that's that's apparently a big driving factor here. It's just it's so transparent that what they're trying to do here is just save money. And the players need to do what they did last year, which worked to a pretty large extent, which is just to say, we want to play a full season. We want the full thing. And basically anybody who's listening to this podcast probably would also like to see a full season if it's safe, if it can be done in a reasonably safe way, which I think it can be given they just did this last year and were able to, to do it. And that was without having people being able to get vaccinated. And we know that vaccines, players and, and things, people are going to start being able to be vaccinated, just the general population, in not too long a time here. So it's on the horizon, like Paul said. We can see it coming. And MLB is just trying to squeeze out some money here and also set some precedents that they want for the upcoming labor negotiations because that's always on the table. <sighs> I, I just love these conversations. They're just so <laughs> engaging. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, I don't know if you guys saw some of the tweets going around in the last week when this was coming up or not, but it, it's just an interesting comparison between, again, baseball and, say, the NFL, which was uh, you're playing all 16 games at any cost. You don't have a quarterback in this game. Sorry, tough luck. You're still playing this game. We're getting in 16 games through hell or high water. Meanwhile, you have baseball, which is like, eh, can we can we cut this thing down to like a month and a half and, <laughs> and see how few games we can still play? You know, it's just really interesting to see how those two are operating. And granted, there's there's a lot of differences between those leagues and how they, you know, treat their own players and such. Yeah, but the common denominator is money. Yeah, that yeah. In no, both I cases, that, yeah. for the NFL, their incentives are aligned to. I mean, it's a TV TV per game thing. Yes, right. I, yeah, I, it's I all about getting the product on the field. And in baseball, it's a little bit different because the, the equation for money, for how they make their money, is different. So that's why right. we're seeing the difference. Yep. Right. And if you want to be super cynical, even the, the perspective of vaccines, I mean, it, it's not a, a player thing. The teams can and probably will get enough vaccines to get their guys vaccinated, but it's about getting the people in the stadium, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the the way the way the the vaccination thing has kind of worked out is you can always know a guy who knows a guy kind of thing to to procure enough to to kind of get you know you, you saw it with uh, one of the Bucks owners getting vaccinated this last week, even though he's like thirty three. Mm-hmm. So. Where there's a will and enough money, there's a way with that. It, it's You guys are right. It's about making sure there's people in the stands, and we're still a ways off from that. Though I will say, we just got notification. It was either this week or late last week uh, from the Brewers asking how we wanted to handle our season tickets for this year. So they're mm. they're in the process of trying to plan this out, and they, they gave a couple different options. One was, do you want your full allotment of tickets that you are signed up for? even if we have to move you around the stadium a little bit, like for Mm. social distancing purposes. And the other one was, would you rather just like uh, pick games here and there and, and handle it more that way? So we, we as a group decided that we wanted to take option one there and, and do that, but it is being planned. People are working on this. If, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this had these conversations already because they got the same emails that we were getting. So yeah, it's on the horizon, and there are going to be fans in the stands just about everywhere this year, though maybe not quite everywhere. I think L.A. County is still going to be. Yeah, they're probably yeah. not. But there will be there will be fans in the stands in most places starting right away. The question is how many and how comfortable people are and all that. So that's, that's the main question. Yep. Yeah. Uh, speaking of questions. We still have a couple more Patreon questions to get to. A reminder, you can help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for just five bucks a month. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods, although the Packers are not playing anymore. So oh, uh, the Super Bowl and the draft yeah. and um, all that. Mike Patton's gone. We can talk about potential replacements for defensive coordinator and Sean Menenga has gone. At least they, they got rid of the right people, so we can talk about yeah. who's going to replace them. All right. Uh, in the meantime, yeah, sign up for our Patreon 
five bucks a month gets you those extra podcasts, or you could just sign up for two bucks a month and get question of priority. One of those questions, actually a couple coming from Jay Google this week. His first question here, kind of a big news that maybe flew under the radar this week uh, with all the free agent signings, but uh, Brewers made a little bit of history. They signed the first uh, female minor league hitting coordinator this week in, uh, I guess, major league history. Uh, Sarah Goodrum, she's been with the Brewers for a few years now, uh, sort of focusing on the sports science aspect of things. And now she's going to be charged with uh, kind of developing minor league hitters. So Jay's asking just how big is her promotion and what exactly will her duties entail? I guess, Ryan, you want to take this one? Yeah. So it sounds like the the background here, she played softball at Oregon, majored in physiology and got her master's in sports science at Utah. And she's been with the team since 2017 and basically is considered sort of a, a leading mind on the idea of hitting mechanics and and what that looks like from a physiological standpoint. And there was a lot of talk this week of people complimenting her abilities in that area. It's it's fantastic. And I know a lot of people are very excited about it. I shared this with my wife. She was very happy about it and thought, wow, this is this is really good. And we're seeing this happen more and more in baseball where there are women in uniform at the minor league level. And I believe now at the major league level, wasn't there uh, somebody in uniform for the Giants? Yes, I believe so. Yep. So it's long overdue. And this is something that we had essentially been from a, a sports perspective had been sort of limiting the the brain power than the people that could contribute to the development of a sport by putting up these barriers that didn't allow women to be involved. And this is correcting that in a way that is beneficial to everybody involved. I, I think for the most part, people are, are pretty willing and pretty accepting of this and have, have gotten past a lot of old, thought processes on these things. You still see some of it, unfortunately, on Facebook. Um, but for the most part, people are getting better about this stuff, and it's just long overdue. Yeah, let's, Facebook exists for people to put unfortunate opinions into the world, so that's not <laughs> yeah, that's not surprising. It, yeah, it's unfortunate you still see that. We should. Uh, I believe the San Francisco Giants assistant coach you're talking about is Alyssa Nakin, or Nakin. Nakin, yep. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Nakin, and should mention names when we can and it just this makes a lot of sense because like the reason that only men play play professional baseball is just a inherent biological advantage of being bigger and stronger however that's where it ends like <laughs> uh, if you're coaching technique or coaching anything or doing analytics or doing math or you know having setting policy for a team or setting high level strategy there's no reason that has to be ex MLB players or anything of the sort. So um, it's it's good that baseball is moving in this direction. Um, women are a huge untapped uh, part of the potential workforce here, and baseball has definitely missed out on you know talent and innovation by being slow to this. And all sports have. So it's been in the, the oldest of old boys clubs forever, and it's good to see people finally breaking through as they should. So, you know, she's very well regarded um, within the clubhouse. She is obviously very well qualified and has worked her way up with the players already to some extent. So um, anybody who's making stupid comments on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever is basically a dinosaur at this point, which not surprising. But uh, yeah, it, it's good to see this actually happening. And it's good. For, I'm glad that the team that we we all cheer for is on the progressive side of this and not being an old dinosaur front office still. Yeah. And there is, especially in, in this case, uh, there was a good interview again on Effectively Wild where they talked to a Australian woman who is playing professional baseball in Australia. And it brought up the point that there are professional uh, leagues in for women in a lot of different places in the world, but the United States, because of the existence of softball and the prevalence of softball here has sort of created the system where if you're a young woman who wants to play baseball, you pretty much get pushed towards softball right. as a thing. And though there are similarities, they're not exactly the same thing. And so it, it does sort of create this, uh, this lack of opportunity. And I, I suppose it would be the same in football, though there are some some women who are now coaching in football, correct, Paul? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, there are a few. Um, I know that the, the, on the 49ers staff, um, shoot, I, I, I'm dumb. I should look this up before, but the 49ers have at least one mm-hmm. uh, female coach in a, at a high level. Right. The one from that commercial, right? Yes. And yeah. there are a few others scattered around the league, too. And uh, in basketball as well, the, the Spurs hi- highest level assistant coach is Becky Hammond, who subs for Greg Popovich on a fairly regular basis and I think is on the, the, the fast track to be the first female NBA head coach at some point. Mm-hmm. And there, for basketball at least, there's a little bit more uh, of an easy transition there because there is such a long history of high-level women's basketball, and it translates in a much more obvious sort of way, I think, for people to see that. And so I think the opportunity there, it makes sense that that would be the first sport where you see it, but there's going to be more and more of this coming down the road because people are starting to understand that it, it doesn't necessarily matter as much. And we've seen this in terms of, uh, in terms of coaching and front office personnel for a while that it used to be that the way to get a coaching job or a front office job in baseball was basically to have been an ex player to have Mm -hmm. played at that level. And it's not that way anymore. Now there's people are looking for different skills. They're looking for people who have the ability to do things, to teach things. And that that is a different set of skills. And so it has opened up more opportunity and has gotten rid of what you were talking about, Paul, there to at least an extent uh, that old boys club that had been completely dominant before that. It's at least eased up a little bit. So that's positive. Yeah, yeah. Definitely cool to see the Brewers thinking outside the box and just kind of expanding their horizons and thinking of other ways to to kind of get more perspectives and opinions in. Never a bad thing. Uh, one last Patreon question from Jay. Going back to the owners and the and the negotiations with the players' union, he's asking how big of a joke is it that the MLB owners offered the players the DH for more playoff revenue? This topic we kind of talked about fairly recently too obviously this is universal dh is something i think we all agree that everybody wants it's dumb that they're haggling over this but paul how how dumb is this specific trying this specific offer i guess Uh, i mean it's it's dumb it's the same level of dumb that the dh haggling has always been where it's uh, uh, the the owners and the players all want the dh It, it gives an additional spot and keeps people around longer and especially veterans want that spot to make more money. So uh, holding it back, I, I know this is just negotiating and one side's not going to, like if they see an opportunity for a leverage point is going to take it no matter how stupid it is. But it's, it's weird to just be in a position where the one side has to pretend they don't want something to try and get something else out of the other side. And that's, that's what's going on. Um, by the way, the, just my own personal opinion that's bad negotiating um and it's it's a sign about how much these two sides don't get along and hate each other uh, when you have a good negotiating um re- relationship with somebody and you have things you agree on you agree to them you, you, you <laughs> those are the easy things to get done there's no reason building acrimony over those leads to worse outcomes later so um it's a that's the worst the best thing to take away from the fact that they can't agree to this is we have labor negotiations coming up. If they were doing well with each other, this would be easy. There'd be a DH. They would all have that out there. Instead, they play these little games. They delay it to delay paying DH people. They they leave it ambiguous and you know try and put um, it, trying to try to make it actually something that's give and take. And and that's it's all bad. It's it's not good. It's not a good sign. Yes, and the playoff revenue thing here is is interesting. There was something that was brought up that I heard discussed on a different podcast this week. And I can't remember exactly where it was, but it wasn't effectively wild. And they were talking about the idea that perhaps this playoff revenue thing could be a way for the union to get some leverage in terms of getting younger players paid. If you were to make this tied to like the the new playoff revenue that's going to be coming in, because we're looking at if they do expand the playoffs, uh, it has already been decided how much money is going to be paid for those contracts. And it's a substantial amount of money. And if the players can get a big chunk of that and have it distributed to players who are perhaps in that zero to three range, that changes the calculus a lot. If players can start the, the earlier that players can start making money, it undercuts the uh, owner's leverage for 
down the road. And it, this is something that is very well understood by both sides. So I think that it's unlikely that this is going to come to complete fruition. Uh-huh. But if there is at least a glimmer of hope here that if ML, if the players union could figure out a way to to get this worked out and worked in so that younger players can get paid more early, it changes all of the equations for how the ownership is able to leverage players into these contracts that are not really in their their advantage and take them through their 20s when they're you know good players and then leaves them sitting at the end of their 20s and early 30s with most of their good performance behind them and teams not willing to pay for their decline phase anymore yep. which is the biggest thing we've seen change about how players get paid in MLB over the last you know 15 years right before we wrap things up for this week, we do have a couple of Twitter questions, too. A reminder, we do put out that call for questions on our Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate. Give that a follow. We put that out every week. So if you have a question and you're not a patron, just reply to that tweet, and we'll try to get to that as well. You can also tweet questions directly to us individually. Ryan is at RDTop. Paul is at Badger Noonan. And I'm at James L. Uh, so we do have a couple of Twitter questions this week, and they both kind of strike the same tone and we may as well end on this. So our first one is from, I guess I, I don't know how to say Twitter names, but it's N E B K baritone. I don't know how to pronounce that in <laughs> normal English, but anyway, uh, their question is, is there any reason to hope that the brewers will make a move? Are they tanking? Why wouldn't MLB team tank? Are they waiting for 2022 to make a big splash? Arg. Uh, and then we also have Thunder McRobert asking simply, why do the Brewers make us sad? <laughs> they're a small market team that functionally doesn't have as much money as everybody else. So they're not tanking. They're, they have a, still a good base and good pitching and they have Christian Yelich. And, but it's, uh, you know, what, whatever we say about their actual underlying financial situation, there's a bunch of complicated stuff involving silent partners, debt service payments and things like that. And, you know, whether they could reach into the pockets of Mark Antanasio, they're not going to. So they're the small market. They don't have as much money as everybody else. That's why they're not making big moves. Maybe they still will. Maybe they'll make a trade. Maybe they'll sign somebody. But it, this shouldn't be surprising. So that's why they make us sad. Uh. <laughs> yep. And is there any reason to hope the Brewers will make a move? Yeah, sure. there is. We yeah. were just talking about that earlier. I think there is reasonable hope that that is going to happen. The question is just, is it going to be what everybody wants? No. Hopefully they can get bounce backs from the players that they already have. Because they do have a decent core, I think, to build around here. And if you can get some bounce backs from those guys, they can be in competition this year and be a relevant team. And I guess that's what we just really have to hope for. Because they're not going to make, almost certainly, they're not going to make a big game-changing move here. I say that in the next week there will be something huge but yeah. let's use the podcast jinx to say once and for all they will not sign justin nope. turner justin turner will not be a milwaukee brewer absolutely not yeah I, will, I think it will definitely yeah. be justin smoke back again they will not yeah. they will not trade for jose ramirez there we go and they're not actually i really don't think that's going to happen i think that would be because <laughs> the ramirez no. is a guy that he has three years on a very reasonable contract left and yep. is 27 years old. Like he yeah. is, he is going to command so much more than what Nolan Arenado did in terms of a return for prospects. It's, it's mm -hmm. a just a completely different world. You're talking about multiple legit young star caliber players. Yeah. I'd rather see them uh, capitalize on the Rockies' dumbness and just get Trevor Story, right? <laughs> well, apparently the Rockies are trying to extend Trevor Story, and if Trevor yes, Story goes for that... Good luck with that! Yeah, uh, dude. <laughs> no. Run screaming, Trevor Story. Run screaming. I guess I guess get that money, but at the same time... Get it somewhere yeah. else. Get it somewhere yeah. else. Yeah, that money's going to be available elsewhere. He is a free agent after this year, though the leverage that people are talking about them having is there's a lot of short stuff free agents out there after this year so right right yeah i think with the you know nolan arenado hand-wringing and all that i think it's important to remember the brewers still have the best player in the division possibly the best player in the national league on their team and he's not going anywhere and that's a thing to be happy about 
not a thing to be sad about. And the Brewers will be fine as long as Mark Adonacio didn't try to short GameStop stock. Yep. <laughs> Shout Steve Cohen. I mean, we have to at least mention this because that would be the funniest thing. The the Mets spent all these years with the Wilpons who got taken yeah. for a ride by Bernie Madoff. And yep. they finally get their billionaire owner that is going to make all their dreams come true. They start making moves. And then if he if if this really is as bad as some people think it could be for Cohen, uh, if if he now is like <laughs> using the Mets as a piggy bank the same way the Wilpons were to try to prop up the rest of his uh, his struggling empire, the level of LOL Mets to that is like something I can't even imagine. I, I'm mm-hmm. I feel both bad and like gleeful because it's just so that's so ridiculous that that could possibly happen. Yeah, I know a lot of Mets fans from my college days, and I feel bad for them if that's the case. But at the same time, hashtag that's so Mets. You know, there was no other way that this could have happened. So, right, uh, man, they're just cursed. Uh, I should read up more on the Steve Cohen thing, but I'm pretty sure that he's going to make money and not lose money off of this. Um, just just throwing that out there. I think they'll be fine. Yeah, my, my understanding, what, he, he didn't personally short the stock, but he's helping bail out the, the firms that did, so, right? Yeah, and I, I, I meant to double-check on his firm before this, but real story of the GameStop thing is not really the Reddit people driving up the cost. It's, um, it's one hedge fund using that to their benefit to drive another hedge fund into bankruptcy and then buying them for pennies on the dollar. And I'm pretty sure that Steve Cohen's on the buy them for pennies on the dollar side of things, so ah. he'll he'll be he'll be fine, <laughs> and probably much richer as a result of this. There you go. Good news for Francisco Lindor. So, <laughs> yeah, indeed. With that, that's all the questions we have this week. A reminder, though, it, you can sign up to become a patron and get question priority. And Ryan, we do have another patron to shout out this week. Who we got? Yeah, Justin saying we were looking. We thought maybe he was coming back to a sponsorship after having left but apparently not so uh welcome for the first time then thank you welcome thanks Justin. thank you we look forward to getting your questions starting next week if you haven't already please do subscribe to the podcast whether that's on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher overcast pocket casts wherever else you listen to the podcast hit that subscribe button and while you're there please do leave us a kind five-star review to help other people find the podcast In the meantime, uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that the Brewers do something in the next week and we'll be able to talk about it next week. Uh, Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate.